This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1205 entitled No Fangs. <laughs> Our podcast title is Podocyte or Symbipod. I actually had to work at that one. I am Rob Jan. And me, Gimmicky. And here we are on New Doctor Who Day. Yes. Oh. Mm. The first episode of season 11 with Jodie Whittaker as the new Doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh, the woman who fell to Earth. Mm-hmm. There's our Bowie reference for Love today. it. <laughs> she Easy. Has, I haven't watched it yet. It, it's dropped on, um, it dropped on, um, what was it, uh, uh, what do they call it, iView for the ABC. Oh, so yes. many of these things catch up <laughs> uh, this morning and uh, you will be able to see it uh, in all sorts of different formats by the end of the day. Um, they've got new companions, a new music composer, a new showrunner in Chris Chibnall. What's her outfit? What's her outfit? <laughs> now, you see... You can actually ask that legit. You know, it's yeah. like uh, uh, so-and-so is playing this character uh, and if it's a, it's a woman, you ask, what's your outfit? But you can but actually... I would ask that about any new doctor. But it's actually, yeah, it's exactly traditional. How do you know? About the outfits. Yeah, you're not a doctor. I know enough about <laughs> David Tennant as the doctor and Matt Smith. I've been to ah. enough cons. I've seen enough cosplay to know that you can recognise who's playing what doctor from their outfit. Yeah, okay. Well, there you go. Um, actually, it's uh, a long coat. That's no surprise. Oh, it's n- I like it. Mm. Oh, it's like pants with suspenders. Yeah, and, and good stout running boots. Yeah, I'm definitely into it. You really need that. Would you, would you give this one a shot? Just, yeah, just I actually watch think it? I would because I like her a lot. Okay, so you're on. I reckon I'll, uh, I'll dig in. You, where do you know her from, Broadchurch? No, well, she was in that movie. I like her from Attack the Block. Attack the Block, of course. All right, we'll give it a shot. If right. you, we'll, we'll review yeah. that episode game. next week. Sounds good. Uh, okay, um, Chris Chibnall, the showrunner, is an English television writer born in 1970, worked on Torchwood, the Doctor Who spin-off, and also the detective series Broadchurch. Um, so there is a crossover mm-hmm. there. David Tennant and Jodie Whittaker, of course, starred in that. Uh, Chibnall's done a lot of theatre writing, and he worked on both series of Life on Mars. Uh, he helped develop the series Merlin. Uh, he was the showrunner on the Camelot series and the showrunner on Law and Order UK. He's written new Doctor Who episodes and is a long-term Doctor Who fan. So he's got a lot of chops there. And it dropped first this morning on iView. Uh, it was on Sunday night in the UK, which is unusual for it. I think it might be a first, actually. Um, series 11 uh, has uh, 10 episodes in it. Um, this uh, one can also be seen on the ABC at 5.55 tonight. Oh. <laughs> um, r- right after which will be... Uh, actually, I feel like there should be an episode of The Goodies playing before <laughs> it and one of Monkey after it or something. Uh, anyway, uh, and also on... It will be repeated tomorrow night at 6.25 
And I think that um, Village Cinemas is having um, sessions at 6 o'clock tonight across their venues. Fun. Mm. Uh, But I'm not going to review it today because I want to see it tonight with my partner. Yeah, and we want to, you know, dig into it when people have had a chance to to watch it. So no spoilers. Uh, Last week we were talking uh, about the two Netflix streaming genre series with the same name, Maniac. Yes. The US American adaptation is a loose adaptation of the, of course it is, of the Norwegian one. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the original stars, its creator, writer, and comedian, I just like saying his name, Espen Petras Andersen Levag. <laughs> uh, and having watched a few more of the original series oh, now. What are your thoughts? Well, I can confirm that the main difference between the shows is that the Norwegian one is much more tightly focused on the single character. Yeah undergoing mental health treatment and it's also pretty much about the experimental drug radiation therapy framework. Ah, okay. So that science, near future science fictional framework, that's not there. Yeah. I suspected that that was all an ad Mm. from the new version. So the American one is much more expansive. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a plus from what I understand because I think the original had a very contained focus in terms of it's just that one setting, it kind of runs the same scope Whereas I think the new one, they really tried to push push it out into being a bit more. Yeah, they're more engaged in the in the almost sketch like comedy of the of the surreal fantasy setting that he has in the original. In the original, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. like if they did a World War Two one where he was a resistance fighter. Uh, yeah, I think the yeah. sketch comedy feel. I think that's the right the yeah. right call. Yeah. Um, whereas the other ones focused a lot on the world building, I think. So I actually think both, you can watch both and have fun watching both. And they're very different. Mm, very different. Anyway, I just sort of dropped that in there. I've also watched um, an episode of a show called The Norseman. Oh. Uh, or Norseman, which is, um, uh, again, a, uh, a sitcom basically um, playing off the Vikings. Okay. It's a, a series. A this sitcom. Is on, this is on Netflix. Interesting. Uh, and also a little bit Game of Throny. So Does it work? Yeah, yeah, because it's so strange. It's like it's incredibly violent um, because it's about Vikings, you know. But it's like imagine if The Office was set in the Viking era. Okay. That awkward sort of... Um, pause comedy where they're sort of going, everyone will stop and look embarrassed and it's that kind of thing. Oh, and it's it's actually Norwegian? No. Yeah. Yes, Norwegian. Yeah, so it's it's a strange one, but I, I got a giggle out of the first episode, which um, yeah. showed a band of uh, Vikings coming back from their raiding and pillaging and returning home and uh, settling back into their community, much to the chagrin of the the brother of the of the war leader who's not really very macho. <laughs> He's pretty... There's so much content out there, isn't there? Oh, okay, yeah. That's interesting. So I just sort of, I'd try that. And it was funny. I'm thinking, like, if Ricky Gervais was dropped into there, he <laughs> would fit perfectly. Anyway, uh, well, let's have a track to separate ourselves from those few things. Um, okay, so language warning on this one. Explicit language, uh, naughty concepts and all of that. And I'm playing this and it's called uh, Half Mogul, Half Mowgli, you know, Mowgli in the Jungle Book. Mm -hmm. And I like the fact that there's a dichotomy going in here because that's relevant to Venom, which we're going to chat about next. And this is by The Sweat, and that's S-W-E-T, Sweatshop Boys. (laughs) 
from the album Cashmere. Why am I playing this track? Well, I'll tell you after. But again, I do warn you, explicit language, naughty concepts and adult themes in this one. It's called Half Mogul, Half Mowgli. Hi, this is uh, Triple R's own Adam Elliott. I'm responsible for Harvey Crumbert and uh, God bless you all. Hmm. And there we had a group called Sweatshop Boys. That's W. It's S W E T. Uh, album called Cashmere, as in uh, Cashmere, not um, Casmere. Uh, and it's called Half Mogul, Half Mowgli. And why did I play that? It's because the guy who <laughs> is in the guy, the guy, the guy, the dude, Riz Ahmed. Uh, who plays the character of Carlton Drake yes, in the I Venom think movie? You mean Riz MC, mm. British Pakistani actor, rapper, and activist. So yes, that probably explains the adult concepts within that song. Adult concepts. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Venom. Yes. <laughs> now, Rob. It's a pleasure to bag a Marvel film, isn't it? I know. I really was looking forward to coming in and just ripping it a new one because <laughs> it's a, a steaming pile. There's no mistake about that. And I don't think we should worry really about spoilers because, A, there's no plot to speak of, and, B, I mean, I think... Deserves it. There's no plot to speak of, so we don't have to worry about spoilers. <laughs> okay, I'll dump, jump back into uh, into into the past. Um uh, Venom first appeared in the Marvel Comics in 1984 in The Amazing Spider-Man number 252. He was originally in, in, introduced as a, uh, a symbiote, an alien creature that would form Peter Parker's new costume then. Ooh. So he first merged with Peter back back in the 80s. Uh, so... There's other ideas that were thrown into this, but um, David Michelin and uh, Todd McFarlane were kind of the creators of this one, Mm -hmm. Um, along with an idea from a reader, a Marvel Comics reader who came up with part of the idea. They paid him for that, the uh, the reader. They paid him $220. Oh, wow. (laughs) And here it is on the big screen with uh, no doubt massive budget. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So this symbiote, um, and we saw this actually in the uh, one of the Spider-Man movies. Um, he basically hybridizes with the host, mm-hmm. so you get a, not 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 a Jekyll and Hyde, but a, a hybrid creature essentially. Uh, and that's the way that it also can become, in terms of Spider-Man, a bit of an anti-Spider-Man, mm. and will make you do all sorts of terrible things, like um, turning Tobey Maguire into a a bit of a, a sharp character. Oh, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> oh, you had yes. the fringe and things. Yes, yes. Um, this time around, it's going to merge with a different person. In fact, this is a Spider-Man free movie mostly. Mm. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so sorry to spoil it for you. Don't even go for that. <laughs> yeah, don't go. Well, actually, if you walked into the cinema uh, right near the end of the film, mm. you'd get some Spider-Man stuff. Yeah, but... Did you actually stay for the end credits? I did, yeah. You did? Oh, I always a... do, even if the... I'd stayed through the movie, Rob. What a... <laughs> I'd stayed through that seeming turd, <laughs> so I might as well stay for an extra two minutes. Okay, I'll say this up front. You know that your wobbly movie is in some real strife when the five minutes of bonus footage from somebody else's animated superhero movie... <laughs> 
at the end of the credits is oh, the no, best I d- part of the movie. No, I didn't see that. You didn't see that? No. You missed the best part of the movie. Oh, dear. <laughs> okay, the uh, the symbiote comes from, um, I think, uh, their race is called the, the Clintar, um, and they're basically they're, they're aliens that um, can do this symbiosis thing. Um, there are lots of them. There's a whole world full of them. Mm-hmm. And so in the in the comics universe, there's been like Venom. Uh, it's great that they all pick such charming names. <laughs> you know, Venom, Carnage, Toxin, Riot, Mania. And at one stage, even Iron Man um, built an armour that was based upon a, a Venom-type symbiote cool. without some of the uh, weaknesses of it and... But still, we're pretty much a, a charmingly nasty personality that, that um, affected a bad Tony Stark then. Thank you, Tom Taylor, for Superior Iron Man. <laughs> Actually, I do. That was a wonderful story, even if it was evil. It's produced by Columbia Pictures in association with Marvel. Mm. Um, yes. Distributed by Sony. And they're try- they tried to make this the first film in Sony's Marvel Universe. Wow. So that's kind of like separate to the MCU. And it's directed by Ruben Fleischer, who gave us Zombieland. Great film. Great film. Gangster Squad, have you seen that one? I did. Mm -hmm. I mean, it had its flaws. It was fine. And he also directed a couple of episodes, one of my favourite shows, Santa Clarita Diet. Oh, right, right. Okay. Mm. It's it's from a screenplay by Scott Rosenberg, who's one of those guys who uh, um, gets um, known as um, uncredited revision writer. Oh. But... He's usually pretty good. At, he, he's well, you know, he's like the script doctor. They parachute in to try and fix wonky scripts. Got but it. he also did the. Uh, he, he worked on the two thousand and two Spider Man film with that's the Sam Raimi, Tobey Maguire one, mm-hmm. and Jumanji: Welcome to the Jungle. Oh he, right. And that he co-wrote the screenplay with Jeff Pinkner, who's also on this film, and he's from Lost, Alias, Fringe, uh, Fifth Wave, Dark Tower, and he wrote. Um, the Amazing Spider-Man Two with Andrew Garfield. Okay. So we've got two Spidey alumni there in the script. What and happened? A, a third person is Kelly Marcel, who was the showrunner and, and one of the writers for Terra Nova. Mm. Uh, and um, and I, and I think this must have been a difficult thing to do. Wrote the screenplay for Fifty Shades of Grey. So, okay. Yeah. So some people in there who do kind of know what they're doing. I'm seeing here now that Ruben Fleischer also did that movie 30 minutes or less which is like Mm -hmm. it's like a comedy about a very horrible real life scenario about the bomb collar pizza thing yes very i've always found that movie to be incredibly odd but i mean he's got a a very diverse filmography let's just say that so all of these aspiring creatives uh in there uh, for a film that's been in development hell for quite some time i think you can tell that there are things that have maybe been done to it or done to the plot that were added later or done later mm. and no one's done a full pass over the movie to be like, that doesn't make sense. Oh, look, I'm sure they have tried that, but, mm. it, but it feels like... Actually, this film feels like a symbiote itself, doesn't it? It's, like, it's a, yeah. a Marvel Comics character with this this thing wrapped around it. Yeah, it's, I don't know. And there's a lot of good talent attached to it in terms of the actors as well. Mm. The basic, yeah, I mean, I look, looking at this on paper mm. or on the screen, mm. on, the, on the digital screen before it gets onto the big screen, uh, Tom Hardy plays Eddie Brock, who's uh, an investigative television journalist with his own Ridiculous. show. Ridiculous. Yes. He's no, um, 
April O'Neil at least. He clearly doesn't know how to journalist because one of had the a journalist <laughs> the, one of the early things in the film is something you would never do anyway. No. Like that's no, I thought, and I thought that the uh, the first ridiculous. act thing that lands him in hot water. Um, I th- it was awful. It was just, so thin. It's like someone just went, we need a reason. There you yeah. go. Uh, we know Tom Hardy from as uh, playing the uh, the Romulan clone of Jean-Luc Picard in Star Trek Nemesis. Uh, he was Bane in The Dark Knight Rises. Of course, yes. Um, Max in Mad Max Fury Road. None of these films I actually liked. He was in Inception, though. <laughs> he was in Inception. <laughs> he was Eames. Dunkirk. Uh, Peaky Blinders, if you've ever seen that, the series, and A for Andromeda. So he has done a lot of good work in there. Mm. And he is actually, I actually think he is a fine actor. Oh, I like him a lot. And he does actually play the voice of Venom too. Yeah, I believe it. In this there was, I thought the voice of Venom was a little Bane-esque. Yeah. So I, I but I could actually understand it this time. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> um, he... Uh, encounters the Venom symbiote when it's brought back to Earth and mm-hmm. you know it's going to bond with him because it's Eddie Brock. Yes. So, you know, that the plot's going to devolve from that. Michelle Williams plays the, the love interest in the story, unless you count Venom as a love interest. Well, I think, yeah, the relationship between Venom and Eddie Brock is a important one. Yeah. It's not Jekyll and Hyde. No. It, it's um, more a team. It's a that. little Hulk-esque. Um, what did... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Tom Hardy said it's like Ren and Stimpy. Oh, yeah, I like that. <laughs> That's actually good. Michelle Williams, um, who was in Dawson Creek. Yes. Uh, I like how you say that, like, maybe she was, yes. I don't know. I would, I've never <laughs> seen it in my life. Um, but I remember her playing uh, the young alien Sill in Species. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. <laughs> but more importantly, uh, a miniseries called My Week with Marilyn. Or is that a film? Might be yeah, a it's film. a film. She was in Oz, Oz as well, The Great and Powerful. She plays Anne, a district attorney, and Eddie's ex-fiancée, mm. you know. I mean, does she though? I mean, I love her, but she really put very little effort into this. Yeah, it didn't it feel like she just sort of filed the subpoena and then left. Well, this is it. <laughs> and I mean, it's not that they gave her anything good to work with either, so I'm not sure They try to make chicken her a, or egg, you know. They try to make her a bit butt-kicking as a DA. But then it was sad. Like, kind of some of the her ass-kicking lines were just very, yeah, very like, poor. Oh. Very poor. Uh, as we were saying, Riz Ahmed plays Carlton Drake, who's kind of like a, an Elon Musk type. Um, it's he, weird, though. They didn't... They tried to give him some faint motivations, but he was very unconvincing as a villain. Yeah, his his basic shtick in this is that he's um, uh, in the biotech industry and he's got this kind of environmental um, mm. crusader kind of thing. Actually, he's a rich guy looking for a space bolt, bolt hole to run to. Yeah. That's 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 his story. But he's he doesn't really sell it and I personally would prefer if they just made him have no, like just... He's just doing this because he's rich and he wants to. Trying to add the layer of motivation felt clunky. The problem with that is that he reminds me very much of um, the characters in Rampage, the one with um, the oh rock. the gorilla thing. Yeah, yeah, they had the same sort of deal running in it, and a little, and it's a bit too soon after that. He does film. try, like he tries with the limp material he's been given, and yeah. he's a beautiful man, but it just <laughs> did not work. Uh, we have, um, do, 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 do. well, actually nobody else who really matters much in the plot, really? <laughs> Am I saying that? No, I mean, look, barely any of them do. <laughs> that it's other just, doctor, I don't know. Yeah, it's just sort of like, well. So, I mean, 
Sorry. Uh, I can't... I don't even want to grapple with this film, really. It makes me feel... It's it's shallow. Uh, there are some funny moves as... Um, as Tom Hardy tries to depict him being taken over by this character and animated, rather like that Australian mm. science fiction film we saw about, what, um, ten months ago? You know the one where the guy had the chip installed in his spine and the chip was doing the fighting for him, oh. took him over? I cannot remember the name of it off the top of my head. No. Or the back of my neck. <laughs> but um, that did the same thing and it would uh, animate him in the, and it was an actor's role because the actor yeah. had to pretend like he was being controlled. And I will say Hardy did probably the best job with what he had here yeah. in terms of the physical stuff. Like, you know, even watching him just fight was... I was fine with that being the whole film. Like I turned to my friend and I said, this character is stupid and the movie is dumb. But mm. like if he's kicking stuff, that's kind of cool. There's a problem with the Venom character for the screen. He's a bit... The, the special effects are very uh, morphy CGI, uh, very shape-shifting, and I actually don't think it works. No, some of the CGI scenes were clearly the ones that they put on the bottom of the list to put the least effort into. Mm. And even the fight scenes, which I guess they put effort into, were very hard to tell what was happening because there was too much. Yeah. It was too quick. He's he's uh, he's uh, black in colour mm. and it's at night, a lot of it, and, mm. you know, I can't t- figure out what's going on and I don't really care. And then, yeah, there's two... <laughs> I mean, look, this isn't really a spoiler again because the movie He's already spoiled. But there were two of them fighting at one stage and there was a cool concept for a fight thing but they didn't really execute it properly and I couldn't really see what was going on and they both looked too similar. Mm. It's like watching two cats fight and you don't know which cat you care about winning. One of the things about the Venom character is that uh, he took on the Spider-Man characteristics after being Spider-Man's costume for some time. Mm. Yet this one has got nothing to do with Spider-Man and he does a lot of Spider-Man stuff. This is like his own... Yeah, he has this kind of globby stuff that he can fling around. But it doesn't make sense. It's no. like, well, it's Rob, there's, that. there's barely anything in this movie that makes <laughs> I, sense. I, I, I know. That, that's just a... <laughs> but you're right. Like, it, they've kind of tried to make their own um, history for the character. Like, you know, make their own venom. It's set in uh, San Francisco, hmm? uh, which doesn't really show. I mean, I... Well, I, there's one particularly hilly fight there's, scene. There's hilly fight scene. But that's about If it. you're going to turn up for this to see the car chase down the streets, don't bother. It's not no. Like, it's not like bullet. It's not going to break any new ground. Oh, absolutely Is there anything... Not. Can we... Can we while we play a track, let me try and see if we can find anything to balance ourselves out. See if we can... Okay. Can get anything Think we actually like about this movie. All right. Um, I like this. Um, that moment. There's always often a zero-G moment when I'm selecting tracks, <laughs> when it clicks. So, I mean, before we had the, um, the, uh, the sweatshop boys... And so, you know, celebrity singers sort of stuff. You love a good celebrity singer. In this one, I found out that Michelle Williams, when she did My Week with Marilyn, sang songs. Oh, yeah, she would have, she's got a lovely voice. And given the, uh, the coloration of, the, of Venom, I was so chuffed to find out that she did a song on that soundtrack called That Old Classic, That Old Black Magic. It's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> This is Neil Gaiman in the dangerous alphabet. Zero, G comes last. Z waits alone and it's not for a thing. Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And we're talking about Venom and we just had one of the cast members in to play a track. (laughs) That old black magic, Michelle Williams from My Week with Marilyn and she Mm -hmm. plays the uh, district attorney, Anne. (laughs) Yes. She doesn't do a whole lot of DAing in this movie, does she? She doesn't really, even they 
bring her in for, again, I don't really care about spoils. Um, they bring her in towards the end to be involved, but she doesn't really get to do much there either. I, I think that the Venom movie, for a start, I think it's a, I think it's a, you know, those one of those they pick up, they picked a fight that's too hard. Yeah. Why do Venom? It seems odd, doesn't it? Yeah. Because it's not like they've picked something that has a solid existing fan base. It's an easy sell. Oh, actually, I, I was going into this. There is actually a lot of Venom comic books, a lot of spin-offs, a lot of um, things. He's like one of the first big uh, members of the bigger Spider-Verse, mm. you know. Um, but without any Spider-Man stuff at all? Yeah, no, this is the trick. Yeah. Pretty much... Uh, not not always, not always, but a lot of yeah. links to Spider-Man. He's had a lot of screen time before, oddly enough. Mm. Um, not um, live action, but animated shows. He's a popular thing to show up. Yeah. Uh, and of course, when he was in that uh, in that, in Spider-Man Three, where he yeah. is, you know, the famous, uh, yeah, yeah he's helping, <laughs> Spider-Man Three. He's assisting is. Tobey Maguire to access the dark side, the, his emo side, <laughs> his yes. emo side. Um, yeah, but uh, you know, there is actually a substantial body of work for for mm. Venom. I don't care for most of it, um, and I still think it pivots on that core link to Spider to Spider-Man or having some. You know, having him be in something Spider-Man first, mm-hmm. like it seems very odd just to come from the out, you know, like seed it from inside the existing what you can. It, it feels I a little bit a like the same thing. Suicide Squad sort of decision. Yeah, they just kind of rushed it out. Yeah. Um, even though this one's been in development hell for years, mm. they, they've, they've been trying to keep make it work. And surely that should raise a flag for someone? You'd think. But I guess there have been things, I cannot think of anything off the top of my head, that have been in development hell and emerge victorious. Oh, a couple of things have done it. So it's not always a red flag. But for something like this, I think it would be. Look, uh, the tone of the piece is wrong. Whatever the tone they needed to access, they didn't find it. Mm. Um, I actually thought that it started quite well in the first... um, Ten minutes. It sounded it was, it was dark enough to have been like um, something out of Alien, mm, or Predator, mm. or something like that. Actually, a lot of them start like that. But um, after that, they they missed the boat wherever they were trying to take it. Yeah, and I think as well, like maybe a good path to go down would have been the whole Eddie Venom partnership. Mm. That kind of and maybe leaning more into the comedy of that because yeah. some of those moments were quite good. There you go, a positive thing. Um, they could have tried. I think this this film needed to be Deadpoolish. Yeah, and I get that you don't. The villain does just kind of needs to be dialed in, mm. but maybe give it a little more on that side as well to to go with because mm. it was all a bit thin, really. Mm. It's a very thinly skinned symbiote, mm. uh, and and also there's a, every a lot of the things that 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 sort of come gracefully through a a proper MCU Marvel Studios film, yeah. um, they fall like lead bricks in this. Yeah. You know, like there's a there's an attempt to introduce another character, another symbiote later on mm. um, in the end credits. Yes. <laughs> and, and it just goes... That was clunk, weird. Clunk. I found that very odd. I know what it is, but it was a clunker. Yeah. And it shouldn't be like that. Like, why would you... Anyway. <laughs> and, 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 and plot points, beats in the plot. Oh, look... Before he gets turned into Venom, Eddie is going to encounter some real bad people in his uh, local community. And yeah. we know that they are being set up 
for yeah. venomization later and on. It wasn't even very satisfying at all. No, there was no real payoff. Like if you're going to drop some breadcrumbs, make them good ones. Do you remember? This is take, taking me back. I think it was possibly Superman Two with Christopher Reeves. Mm. Um, he gets beat up in a bar after he loses his powers. After mm. he gets rid of his powers. And then only much later on in the movie when he gets his powers back do yeah. we see a payoff for that. Yeah. You know, have Every a little grace. Every moment like that has to be as good as or better than Julia Roberts going back into that boutique and saying, big mistake in Pretty Woman. If it's not better than that, don't do it. Um, <laughs> That's a reference you won't get. I'm sorry. No, I understood that reference, <laughs> says Steve Rogers. <laughs> Uh, but, yeah, like the payoff was so flimsy and as soon as I saw them going back to that breadcrumb, mm. I was just like, don't, I don't even care about this. Yeah. It's quite sad. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm sad about the whole thing because, um, you know, looking, looking at it on paper, there's some good stuff in there, there's some good talent working on that one mm. and it shouldn't have come out this way. Maybe there's, a, maybe there's a director's cut that's better but I wouldn't. I mean, I wonder if it's a studio thing, like, Obviously, the guy made Zombieland and things like that knows how to lean into the right tone of comedy and action. Mm. Studio got scared, wanted something a bit more play by the numbers in terms of a superhero thing. I mean, I'm not, like, throwing shade on Sony or anything. Please don't call me. But, like, (laughs) I just think maybe it's so muddled up that there's obviously quote-unquote creative differences at play maybe. You spotted there's a structural, a time jump in it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I didn't. My friend who I went to the cinema with, very cleverly, they do... There's kind of two... Well, no, I wouldn't even call the second thing a storyline, but just a little thread that they have happening. But in the main storyline, there's a six-month time jump that does not seem to apply to the other Mm. in quite a ridiculous fashion. So, Mm. uh, yeah, there's plenty here that doesn't check out. Mysterious SWAT teams turning up for no reason at locations they couldn't possibly know about know anything about characters that show up randomly. I, I will say that no cats were eaten in this film. Yeah, there was a potential for a cat to get et, and I thought, oh, are they going to do that? Are they going to do that? No. Oh, so, I only notice if it's so, a dog. So, yeah, well, um, well, there are dog. There is a dog in this film. <laughs> yeah, a very cute dog. Yeah. I mean, look, overall, we obviously we hated it, right? Ah. Uh, I didn't hate it. I mean, it's got a beginning, a middle, and an end. It's, I, it's not one of those films that's a complete. Hmm. It's not like. Um, the last Fantastic Four film. Oh, yeah. You know, it's not there. But um, it is always disappointing when there's actors or creative people involved that you're excited about seeing what they were going to do and then it's a bit of a mm. bit of a failure. Yeah. But you're right, it's not as bad as the most recent Fantastic Four. Well, that's enough about Venom then. You know, we've, we've expended our, emptied our, se- our, our Venom sacks and it's all gone. <laughs> um, yeah, well, you know, that's, there's going to be some Marvel movies. Look, I mean, X-Men Apocalypse wasn't so great. It was better than this. It was better than this, but it wasn't so great. It had problems. Yeah, true. It had a, a villain that just wasn't really up to scratch. Do you think it was better than Kong Skull Island? What, Venom? Yeah. God, no. I exactly. love Skull, Kong Skull Island. I thought you didn't like no, Kong I Skull Island. No, I love that. I would, I would... I would settle down in a grass hut by the seaside with that film. What about Prometheus? <laughs> I know. Do you know how Venom is vulnerable to to uh, sonic noise? Prometheus is one of my sonic noises. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I mean... Species, I Prometheus, <laughs> Alien Covenant, Starship Troopers. Mm-hmm. There is a whole bunch of movies that I really despair Into of. Into darkness. Of, into darkness, yeah, mm. thank you for that. <laughs> but, I mean, look, I think if you've got a spare evening and it's streaming somewhere sometime, 
put it on in the background while you do your ironing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, there you go. We've got a yeah, no, nah, maybe out of that one. Um, it's not bad enough to be good. It's an ironing movie. <laughs> but not an Iron Man movie, even though the cinematographer was from, um, from, exactly. from Iron Man. Um, yeah, I, I just give it a, a nah, basically. Yeah. yeah. Or see it with friends and make fun of it, you know? Yeah. Mystery Science Theatre 3000. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, uh, moving on, we'll play a track here. Actually, I don't want to play the track I was going to play. Oh. oh. <laughs> I'm just changing my mind here. We'll go with... Um, What's your prerogative? Uh, glass Spider, because Spider-Man, and this film has got a glass jewel, that's for sure. Uh, but this will do for our Bowie track today. And this is actually David Bowie's um, Glass Spider, Never Let Me Down, is the album. And it's a, it's a very talky one and, and, and quite epic and all quite um, take you away from uh, the whole Venom thing. <laughs> Broadcast mode. This is Crichton, the service android aboard the Starship Zero-G on 3 triple R FM. SOS! SOS! Mayday! Help! I am being held captive by rogue makeup artists who want to cover my face in plaster and latex rubber. Panic mode. Get me the hell out of here! Glass spider... David Bowie, mm. never let me down, and he hasn't so far. <laughs> All right, Megan. Yes, so I just wanted to quickly cover something which I think has been talked to death and happened a couple of weeks ago, but we haven't chatted about it at all. Um, so I thought I'd just do a little bit of a chat about it. So it's the Witcher TV series, so that Netflix is making an adaptation. Now, this is quite big news because obviously there was an original series of books, The Witcher Saga. They're Polish and they're by an author called On... Drez Sapkowski. There you go. Um, and obviously there's a very popular video game series, which I really enjoy myself. Now, Netflix has thrown some money at it and it's been officially announced for around 2020. So the showrunner, whose name is Lauren Schmidt, she has worked on The Defenders, Daredevil, um, and so she has released a couple of tweets that have sort of hinted at when this might be ready and released. And she said 2020, there'll be eight episodes and it'll be largely based around the books and not the video games. However, the um, there's a Polish director um, who, Thomas Baginski. So he directed the opening cinematics that's in The Witcher games and he'll be doing some directing on the series. So they're kind of drawing in a lot of the people that have been involved creatively with kind of the Witcher stuff, uh -huh. the Witcher canon, let's call it. So, and the original author of the books, Sapkowski, he's also attached to consult on the series. So that's a really good sign. That's positive. Yeah. And so there have been a couple of ill-fated adaptations. There was one called The Hexa, which was a Polish one that was done. That was about in 2002 or so. And there was a Polish movie that was also made that what people didn't really like, from what I understand. So one of the big things that kind of happened a few weeks ago is that they cast Geralt, who is the main who character, the Witcher, and they cast Henry Cavill. And now, because everyone on Twitter has an opinion, there's a lot of funny tweets out there, but most of them are to the effect of that they think Henry Cavill's not a very good choice because Geralt's kind of... Are you familiar with The Witcher at all? No. Kind of... Grizzled is the wrong word. He's not really grizzled. But look, Hen Henry Cavill as Superman is pretty far from what people would expect um, Geralt to be like. A does lot of, does I, this character have a moustache? 
Well, <laughs> one that can be CGI added or removed. He's got facial hair. He's kind of grey. He's kind. I mean, look, he's he's an attractive grizzled witcher. Um, <laughs> but so people are a bit concerned about Henry Cavill's energy being wrong and whether he can play it. He's too clean cut. Blah blah blah. But one thing that Lauren, who who the create the creator, I call her Lauren, like she's a maid. Um, <laughs> has said is that he's a very big fan of the books. Ah. He's very passionate about playing the role. He's, like, actually a big nerd and he really wants to do a good job. Like, he released all these really nerdy tweets where he, like, compared his motorbike to the horse and the witcher and all this stuff. So he's... And when he announced officially, there was a series of very cute tweets where he obviously is really excited about doing this. And I'm not saying you should cast people when they're excited about doing a role and so it's okay. Or even if they tweet a lot about it. Well... I think we should give him a shot, you know, because I, I mean, I think he was good in The Man from Uncle. Oh, yeah, I do too. But, I mean, that's obviously a very different character, but I don't think we should just write him off because no. the Superman he played was maybe not. And I will say a lot of people when Heath Ledger was cast as the Joker in The Dark Knight Rises were like, too clean cut, can't do it, and he got a... um what do you call it, posthumous Oscar for that. Mm. So I think we should just stop throwing shade <laughs> and let this nerd have a crack. Um, and I think there's a couple of other writers that have been attached. Um, Schmidt has kind of announced a couple of writers on Twitter um, and they're from series like The Originals, which is a spin-off of The Vampire Diaries, but don't let that put you off. There's also writers <laughs> from Jessica Jones, Daredevil and things like that. So oh. they're kind of really using, a, I think, a pool of talent that's come through the Netflix kind of stable and then they're kind of trying to gather them with some of the people who had um, input into some of the other original Witcher stuff um, from CG Project Red, which is the video game studio and also the the author and things like that. So I think it seems like they're on the right path. Only Geralt has been cast. So we're still waiting for some of the other key characters, which obviously people will have an opinion about. So I will report back once we know a little bit more about if there's any further announcements about cast for that. But I'm excited. I really think that they seem to be taking a really good approach to it. I think we certainly shouldn't. Um, oh, look, apparently there's going to be some big news coming soon, teased oh, okay. by the showrunner. So I reckon maybe next week we'll have another um, announcement of maybe casting or something like because that. Because I'm not so. familiar with it, I'll ask that basic question. I'm assuming it's a fantasy series. Yes, okay. sorry. I should have <laughs> given you a little background. I assume that. But, I mean, fans will kind of have been following this quite yep, closely. Absolutely. But, yes, it's a it's a fantasy series. Um, you'd probably quite like it, actually. We yeah. should have a look at the books maybe. But, um, so yes. So book to video game yeah. and now film. Yeah. Uh, sorry, a television series. Yes. You know what? Um, for this sort of thing, I think that... Um, television series, streaming television series are the way to go, mm. you know. Don't let, let's just not have another one-off um, video game movie. or And have the space to do it. Like if there's eight episodes, you can really dig into maybe some of the content from sure. it because fantasy books are, you know, there's heaps in there to cover. So anyway, I'm going to keep um, an eye on things and, yeah, update if there's any little other tidbits. Thanks. Now, uh, I, I'm I'm very saddened to hear of the of the death of former... Triple R broadcaster Ricky Vengeance, who, amongst other on-air gigs, ran the old folk show, the old folk show, not the old folks show, as he always used to tell me, from around 1978 to 2006. And that show was iconic, and Ricky himself was a musical institution beyond his radio passion, especially noted for his long run of performances at the Port Ferry Folk Festival. Uh, And for a time, Zero G was broadcast on Tuesday Arvos. 
Uh, and Ricky came in afterwards with his show, which meant we often had time for a quick little natter in the green room or in the studio during our out track or before in breaks if he came in early, which he often did. We had, we had plenty to chat about being fans of Doctor Who and other genre shows and I also enjoyed tapping his encyclopedic knowledge about all kinds of music. <laughs> Zero G will play any thematically relevant or irreverent tracks, so it shouldn't be a surprise that every now and then we'd find we had something musical in common as well. I, I particularly remember the time when I was trying to find out more about the folk song that the character Spike in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the, the song that his mum used to sing him hundreds of years ago when he was still a mortal human, mm. sort of a lullaby, the um, early one morning. It was later used as a hypnotic trigger to temporarily override Spike's emotional control chip. Yes, I remember that plot line well. <laughs> the song itself is a, is a terrible earworm, so I'm not going to play it, and I apologise if it ref, just referencing it triggers any listeners out there. Anyway, I mentioned it to Ricky, and he smiled whimsically while polishing his specs and, and said in that lyrical uphills and downhills, Dale, up, down, Dale's voice of his, so, right then, leave it with me, Rob. And this was before I had access to iTunes, so <laughs> the next week I was quite chuffed when he slipped me a CD he compiled complete with a saucy cover and liner notes containing several good versions of the song, which I then wickedly played. He also spun me an informative yarn about the history of the piece that was way more engaging than what I would have found on the internet. Um, and on a less evil note, um, I loved that he used Clanniff's theme from Harry's game as the perfect mood setting intro to the old folk show um, which is uh, a song that came out in 1982 um, and it uh, was the main track from uh, their album Magical Ring but the song itself was composed for a, a television production of Harry's Game which was about the troubles in Northern Ireland. Well not to be a big hit Ricky knew all this stuff mm. Just you know, a big hit and it was um, I think one of the only British um, folk song hit that was sung totally in I Irish for the whole way, or Gaelic for the whole way through. Now, in spite of the fearsome last name, um, Ricky was a gentleman. I, I deconstruct the term deliberately because it's possible in this woeful world to be a gentleman without being gentle, but Ricky, he was the real deal. So my condolences to his family, friends, fellow musicians and fans. Now, I did find out that um, he passed away suddenly at uh, <laughs> at a, uh, a ukulele festival where he'd been playing the night before. So, you know, I, of course, am totally aware of how hard that sort of sudden death is on everybody around him. And at the same time, he went out after doing what he did best, which was play music. Check out um, Rick E. Vengeance's YouTube channels where he's left a lot of, um, of uh, joyful tunes, just noodling away with different songs and having fun. And, uh, yeah. Whatever highly dubious track I played Zero G out with back then and today too, <laughs> uh, there would always be Ricky's um, gentle show intro to play the listener into and an undoubtedly more civilised space than Zero G's, <laughs> certainly a more mellow mood. So we're going to play, and this is this feels really strange because I would normally hear this after my show, mm. but, you know, it was always linked with Zero G because it was there. Uh, oh, so I'm going to play the uh, Harry's game theme to go out with today. And uh, with um, Astral Glamour coming up next. All right. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. 
I will go east and go west, from whence came the moon and the sun. This has been a podcast from Free Triple R, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.